Welcome to season three of the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Alexandra Hughes, your Viewpoints host. everyone, and welcome back to the ASCA Viewpoints podcast. I'm your host, as always, Alexandra Hughes, and oh my goodness, it has only been one month since I put out the last episode, and my, how everything has changed. So in case you didn't know, uh, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, and not even going to lie, last month, I truly didn't feel scared at all, and now I wash my hands after touching any object in my house. I haven't seen my friends in weeks, and I truly believe that Lysol is the new seasonal 2020 spring high-end perfume fragrance, okay? Um, We've all been engaging in higher education in a way that's unlike anything else that we've ever had to do before. Uh, Socially distancing from each other, that's new. Uh, We have been, and we're going to be spending a lot of time online, and I know that we all cringe at online and the craziness that comes from it, but there's so much amazing stuff that's coming from online, like super fast information, the ability to FaceTime friends, happy hour and workout classes on Zoom, free access to learn new things, take new classes. And I have to say some pretty cool ones, if I say so myself. So I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I've struggled with this month with what to say about student conduct and COVID-19 and how much I should talk about it because quite frankly, we're just inundated with it from the moment that we wake up, from the moment that we go to sleep. And if you're anything like me, that also includes three or four hours of just laying in the bed, wishing that you could go to sleep and you haven't been able to sleep until you get up the next day way more tired than how you were when you went to bed at night. Yeah, that's me. Um, But I think in student affairs fashion, we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge it and address it because it's real. Overnight, we have changed the ways that we do conduct. I mean, those of us that are teachers have had to redesign classes. Those of us that are students are trying to figure out how all of this works. We are shifting policies and I mean everything. I've done a check-in with my students um, in my role as a professor and I've asked them how they are. And I think we see so many people who appear like they have it together and we think that they like do and we think that we should too and like we just don't. So to all of my fellow student conduct professionals who are listening today, if no one has asked you, I am going to be the one that says, hey, how are you? And I'm going to check in with you right now in this moment because I don't think that people ask us enough. So how are you? How are you doing? And I will start. So I'll be honest, I am completely exhausted. Trauma is something that is extremely interesting. As student conduct professionals, we recognize it in a lot of these hard cases that we deal with, right? Involving sexual assault and other horrendous things. But I don't think we realize it in ourselves that we have a natural fight or flight response. But, you know, we can't fight this this thing and we can't run from it either. And so I think that we have a freeze response that is really showing itself as I talk to my friends, as I talk to my colleagues, as like we're tired. Um, And so I want to acknowledge that first, right? But I also want to say that I'm very thankful in my ability to be able to work from home and be safe. And 
I, I don't think that these ideas have to be mutually exclusive and that we can be both tired and worried, but grateful um, at the same time. And so for me, I'm going to ask us to give ourselves grace during this time to figure all of this out. Um, my mother um, always <clears throat> would tell me something growing up. And whenever I had like an insurmountable task, she would say, Alex, it's like an elephant. Alexandra, this is what you need to do. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And that's all you can do. And it seems silly if you think about it. But if you think about it really and truly, eating an elephant seems almost impossible. But if you have to do it, the only way that you can is to do it one bite at a time. And that's all that we can do. And so I want to give you that as we move forward over this next month to just take it one bite at a time, one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. And give yourself grace because trust me, it is okay. We're going to make mistakes. I had a professor ask me yesterday, how do you do this? And I was like, I I don't know what the policy would be for something like this because we've never had to do it before. But I figured it out. And I promise you, you will figure it out too. I know that we are all so concerned about so many things, our loved ones um, in both a professional sense and in a personal level and what everyone is dealing with because every single one of us has very different stories about who, what, where, when, and why and how this COVID-19 is affecting us. And so more than anything, I just wanna share love right now with each and every one of you listening because I think that we can all use a little bit more of that right now. So. So I realized when I did this interview last month with Tony, Tony Miller Jr. to be exact, neither one of us knew how bad it was going to get. But I actually think the information that he gives is extremely helpful. Tony talks about the pathway sanctions and how they can help. And to be honest, I think the creativity behind some of his sanctioning ideas is exactly what we need right now. So let me tell you a little bit about Tony, who I interviewed on the show, just that way you have a background um, for this amazing person who really was uh, gracious in sharing his time with us. So Tony Miller Jr. serves as the Director of Student Conduct and Deputy Title IX Coordinator at the University of Montevallo in Alabama. Tony believes in engaging students by creating an educational atmosphere that facilitates their academic and personal goals. He believes this leads to a healthy, safe, productive, and fun college experience. Tony is a firm believer in relationship before regulation and education before adjudication. Tony has worked at the University of Memphis and Southern Methodist University located in Dallas, Texas. Tony's goal is to work with students to help them bring their actions into congruence with their values. Tony gives us some great ways to think about our sanctioning our students and more so in a creative context. So, Maybe you'll hear this and you'll be furious that our voices are too relaxed or maybe that the tone of our conversation isn't panicked enough or maybe that I right now in this moment and in this voice recording um, is not as panicked as you think that I should be or maybe that I'm too panicked. Please keep in mind that all of us are taking this day by day. That means Tony. That means me. That means you. And I would say just about every single other human being on this planet, we are all taking this day by day. We're all adjusting to new information and just making the best choices we can from the only vantage point that we know, which is our own. What we said a month ago will not match what I'm going to say today. 
And most likely it will be outdated a month from now. So to simply put it, we are all going through it. So with that being said, please stay safe. Please keep up to date with verified information. Please take care of the people around you. Please remember to give yourself grace to feel what is going on and know that you can do this because you are going to eat this elephant one bite at a time. Tony's passion is incredible. His excitement is contagious. And I think this episode will provide you with some of the reprieve that you may need. Stay tuned, everyone. So hi, everyone. Um, I hope that everyone's doing well today. I have a special guest on our show, Tony. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. You're doing great. Welcome to the ASCA Viewpoints podcast. We are so extremely excited to have you today. Um, We are going to be talking about some great things today. So the first thing that I want to do, which is what we do for all of our listeners and all of our guests on our show, is really just ask you um, about who you are. And we want to hear about your student affairs journey and what you do now and how you got there. All right. um, So... Obviously, my name is Tony Miller Jr. Um, I'm a proud native of Augusta, Georgia. Um, And so my student affairs journey. So, you know, starting out, it's like everybody. You don't know what student affairs is when you go to college. Um, So when I went, I wanted to be the next Johnny Cochran, you know, so I majored in political science to get ready for um, for law school and clearly um, didn't become a lawyer. Um, But what Happenstance, I actually met the vice president for student affairs um, at my undergrad, Georgia Southwestern State University, while playing racquetball. Um, and so he kind of took me under his wings and, and kind of mentored me and kind of opened the doors um, of really what a, being an RA, um, which obviously was my introduction to student affairs. So um, we continue that, you know, that relationship, honestly, till this day. Um, so I became an RA, you know, I was an RA for two years. Uh, well, yeah, two years in my senior year, I became a hall director of freshman residence hall. Um, I served as SJA president, you know, for two years. Um, I was the president of um, the largest non-Greek organization on our campus. Um, the Student African American Brotherhood did that for two years and did a lot of different, um, things, um, as a student leader on campus. And so when it came time for grad school, you know, continuing to talk to him and learn about his career and how he got to where he got to, um, one thing he told me, he said, look, there are two areas in student affairs that our colleagues avoid uh, because they're tough, um, but they're good, you know, they're good experiences and they can help you, you know, be a VP one day. Um, and so, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what are they? And he said, you know, financial aid, um, and this was back in, you know, 2013, he said judicial affairs. Um, so, so I'm looking, I'm, I'm applying to different graduate schools, things like that. So I get on as a, you know, graduate um, hall director at University of Memphis. And so me personally, I looked at, you know, student conduct to be the lesser of the two evils. Um, and so, uh, so that's how I got into student conduct. And so while I was at the University of Memphis, the associate dean of student conduct, um, he allowed me to do um, an unofficial internship in his office. And then during my, um, my last semester there, I actually did an official um, internship there. Um, and that's kind of how I um, got into student conduct. And then I applied, graduated, applied for um, a coordinator for student conduct um, job at 
SMU Southern um, Methodist University for those that don't know the acronym. Um, and, you know, I was there for three years in Dallas, Texas. And so they would do a lot of great things um, while I was there. Um, and then May of 2018, um, I was um, offered the job of Director of Student Conduct and Title IX Coordinator for Students at the University of Montevallo um, in Montevallo, Alabama, which is about 40 miles um, south or 40 minutes south of Birmingham, Alabama. And so I'm in year two um, there, um, in, enjoying it. And um, yeah, that's how I got to where I am. That's my student affairs journey and continuing to, I guess, to live the higher ed dream. <laughs> I like your student affairs story. Um, it's right. I think it's interesting. Uh, I think the fear that a lot of people have behind student conduct and judicial affairs, as we once called it, and what that is, because I think it is something that's scary, right? It is. There's a lot of policy involved, a lot of law involved, a lot of uh, decisions and liability that have to be made. But if you do it and you do it well and you have fun with it, then I think that you can definitely make an impact. So I like to hear your story. I think you have a very good one to say the least. Um, okay, so then tell me this. You pick judicial affairs, which is now student conduct. So what are some things that you're passionate about when it comes to student conduct? I think the most passionate thing uh, for me when it comes to student conduct is really the sanctioning. Um, okay. You know, I like, you know, I'm passionate about outreach again, because that's change, trying to change the connotation of student conduct and what people think um, student conduct means and what we do on a daily basis, including our colleagues, but even student conduct assessment and even, even the mentorship um, in our profession. But my two biggest passions um, in student conduct would be just the sanctioning um, and student conduct assessment. So really how we tell our story um, as it pertains to assessment, of course, and enforce the sanctioning, how we can meet our students where, um, where they are, um, instead of sometimes trying to, you know, drag them to where we think that they should be. And so those would be my two biggest passion points or passion areas um, in our profession. OK, so it seems like you're definitely in the right profession if you like sanctioning people, because that's where <laughs> that's where we are. You know, and that's what we do. I think sanctioning can a lot of times be scary, um, especially for new professionals who are in our field, because, you know, I think there's a reality of, of those who don't work in student conduct. They say, wow, like you have the power to expel somebody or suspend somebody. And I often use this phrase, you know, to who much is given, much is expected. Right. And when it comes to this idea of this, quote unquote, power, like it's understanding that that same power to suspend or expel a student can really make the difference in somebody's life, right? Like the things that maybe their parents sacrificed for them or the things that, you know, would happen for their future generations. So it's definitely not something to take lightly. Um, even when it comes to sanctioning, I know that there's like traditional sanctioning practices and then like just different types of sanctioning. So could you maybe talk about the different types, what we see in like the, a historical way and maybe what our field is moving to? Um, yes. So um, the, you know, the model code, you know, sanctioning things that, that we usually see is, you know, they come in, you know, have a conversation with the, with the student conduct officer. Um, they accept responsibility or, you know, the preponderance of the evidence um, standard is met um, and they're found responsible. And, you know, we sanction, you know, you're responsible. You are you get a, a reprimand, a formal warning, probation whatever the structure of the sanctioning model and the language and lingo is at that university or for that particular office. And then you pretty much tell them um, what they're going to do, whether it's a fine, you know, taking this online module, parental notifications, essay, that essay, um, do this, do that. Um, and that's pretty much it, you know, and you know, through the conversation, you're hoping that the educational piece is there and you're hoping that the student um, is able to get one thing 
um, from that. Um, we're starting to see restorative justice, you know, just take off and do a lot of different things. And I mean, I think when you get into and you dive into people's philosophies on sanctioning, I think that's where you kind of see, you know, where the profession is going and trying to see what we're doing. And I think I like sanctioning so much because I've been able to be creative and innovative with it and trying to meet our students um, with they are because regardless if the world does not know uh, millennials for the most part we're not in college um it's actually gen z <laughs> um, so um so they're, they're they're a lot different um than, than we millennials are so trying to really make things relevant um to them and you know my biggest um, one of my biggest philosophies um you know as, as a student kind of professional is really creating an engaging um environment for those students um so they can you know go out there and live you know a a safe an enjoyable campus life, but following, you know, being held accountable, following the rules of our community, because I'm a big stickler for, you know, relationship before regulation and education before adjudication. And so with that approach, um, it's, it opens up a little bit more for my ability to be relationships with students and to do what I do. Um, and so while I was at SMU, um, we kind of, we began or started a sanctioning model that um, I'd say, we'd say, um, is not been done by a lot of uh, a lot of universities, mm -hmm. um, at least not to our knowledge. And so, during my second year at SMU, uh, my supervisor, um, Dr. Evelyn Ashley, um, she wanted to adapt um, our sanctioning to better serve our student population. Um, and you know, restorative justice, as I said earlier, was becoming you know more and more popular. Everybody was doing it with new buzzword. You know, was doing it this thing in K through 12, um, but we knew that our students, they weren't ready for that. Um, that's not, um, they, they were not going to see how, you know, them smoking weed in the student um, parking center was impacting, you know, Alex in her residence hall and how it was impacting the community. So we're like, well, we're not going to do that. Um, our students, you know, they're bold, you know, they're very entrepreneurial minded and they wanted everything to be relevant um, to them. And so um, my supervisor, she saw one school that Technically, you they had they sanctioned um, based on like five pillars that they came up with, and she wanted us to take it a little further and dive deeper. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was given the opportunity to kind of lead um, the charge with that in that process and make something happen, um, and we did. And so, really, um, I guess what we're really here to talk about today is that that sanctioning model, um, which we call the pathway plan. Um, sanctioning model. And, you know, and the reason, I, another reason we went to that uh, model is because, you know, too often, you know, students, you know, they view sanctions as predetermined punishments um, for violating policy. And so understanding that, you know, um, we created something where we could work with the student um, and have a conversation with them and work more collaboratively with them, try to help change the, the connotation and the perception of the Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards at SMU. Um, and so that's what we pretty much did. And um, I guess if I dive into it, I guess the big thing, the big difference with that is we allow those students to choose um, their educational sanctions. Um, and so that's something that when we talk to different student conduct um, professionals, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, you do what? Um, and then we dive into it and they understand what we're doing. They kind of like the idea. And then, you know, we, we tell them, oh, well, we do this, we do this, you know, we allow them to do that. Um, and we also explain how we still, you know, technically have, you know, control the process, but at the same time, you know, help the student um, learn and grow, um, you know, through that, through that sanctioning, through the pathway plan sanctioning model. 
Okay. So then let's talk about that some. So if you actually go to um, SMU's website, I've spent some time on on their website to say the least, um, because I think it's very fascinating, right? The idea that you can choose, you know, different types of sanctions. Um, And from what I've seen on there, of course, you have your traditional ones like um, a reflection paper and that type of stuff. But then there's also things like choosing to listen to TED Talks, um, a letter to your future self, um, like consequences, worksheets, decisions, like these are really creative things. And I would actually encourage any of our listeners, um, if you haven't seen it, they actually have a lot of stuff published on their website to go look, um, or of course, to get in touch with Tony and we'll share his info later. Um, but I think it's really, really cool to see the options. So how did you guys come up with these different, really creative like sanctions and then why? Um, and so what we did, like we had a former assistant director who was really big on restorative justice and she left to be a director at another um, university um, in the Dallas area. And um, and so we were trying to, again, trying to meet students and see where they where they were. And we just were thinking like, OK, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to achieve? And if we're you know sanctioning students and actually working with students, how can we do that? Through, our, through this sanctioning model. Um, and so one that I don't know if it's on SMU's um, website, but it's, and I don't even know if it's on my website at the University of Montevallo because I have, um, I have it on my website um, as well. But one thing that we created was um, the potential student conduct questionnaire or employer questionnaire. And our biggest mindset or our biggest goal that was to really help students who were placed on counterprobation or higher, um, be able to explain and be able to prepare them for the questions on the graduate school applications, or if they got asked those questions in, you know, an interview or or a job application. Why should I hire Alex or Tony, you know, who's had a student conduct violation versus this other candidate who's just as great as you on paper but didn't get in any trouble? Because what we would see, and I'm no, I know you've seen it um, in your career, students, they're seniors, they probably got in one or two incidents, you know, their freshman year, their first year there, and they're like, oh my God, what do I do? How do I answer this? And so we created that to help them, the 22-year-old Alex, um, be able to explain what she did when she was 18 or 19, um, so they're not panicking, so they're already prepared to answer that question. And so we do a lot of different ideas off of each other. We, you know, we reached out to other universities to see what were some of the creative sanctions that they were doing? And, you know, the TED Talks, that was one of those things that the former assistant director, um, she was big on videos. We use videos in our decision-making workshop. And um, so we just kind of incorporated that. We went and looked for different um, videos that we thought that would be helpful for our students. So we watched them. You know, we came up with different, you know, questions and what we wanted them to get out of it, you know, trying to work on the learning outcomes and things of that nature. And that's really how, you know, that's how we got there. And, you know, really trying to, you know, once a student gets there, help them understand, well, this is the way that it works. And then I know I probably, I know you'll probably ask me how to, how the entire process works a little later, but, you know, that's kind of how we got there, asking a lot of our colleagues what they were doing, you know, looking at stuff online, you know, and then as you'll see, a lot of those forms or, or those worksheets, we created ourselves like one is the pros and cons worksheet, you know, to where you have the student think about the pros and the cons of their decision. Even if, you know, a pro may be wrong or illegal, like it's fun. That's a pro of it. But you know, a con could be obviously getting into trouble, but then also sharing with them you know, the different 
you know, decision-making paradigms with the right versus wrong test and even the right versus right, you know, paradigms and, and seeing how they make decisions. And, you know, that's been something. I mean, Letter to Future Self, um, Letter to Future Self and the TED Talks, those have always been the most popular. Um, right. Because one, you know, who doesn't like TED Talks and, you know, the whole concept of Letter to Future Self, it's, you know, you literally get to write a, a letter to yourself and you, you know, we ask a student to reflect on their incident um, and write a letter to your future self. And we'd ask them to date it three to six months, you know, down the line. And obviously they would have forgotten about it, but you reflect and you put, you know, what you learned, how you've grown from this incident, how you want to continue to grow from the incident. But we also told them, we said, like, don't just talk about the incident, put your own personal goals in there, put your academic goals, your personal, you know, health, fitness, whatever goal, put whatever you want to say to yourself in there. And they really like that because it serves as a self-accountability measure and it's not just, you know, me saying, you know, do this, do that. They're holding themselves accountable to what they put in that letter to themselves. And, you know, they can kind of see what well, I wanted to achieve a 3.5 this semester. And, you know, looking at it, did I do it? No. Um, or yes, I did. So now I get to go, you know, treat myself to my favorite movie or my favorite treat. Um, and so it's, you know, being able to hold themselves accountable, I think, was something. And I think they might have thought it was one of the easier, you know, pathway projects. Um, of, of, the, of the choices, but it really helped them and they really were excited about doing it. They didn't see it, I guess, as a sanctuary. They didn't see it as unity. They saw it as something that could, you know, really help them uh, move forward. Okay. Okay. So then let's, um, let's have an example here. Okay. okay. So we have student, because I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are very curious about like, how do you allow a student to pick a sanction? Right. So yes. you have resident, um, Alex, who, uh, let's see, was found last night um, in the residence hall on campus. And let's just say I'm not 21. I'm going to be 19. So I'm not of age. All right. And, you know, after the police and all the RAs and everything else, and you get the report. And basically, in short, I was I threw a party. I had all the alcohol, all of the alcohol. I mean, I'm talking jello shots. I'm talking about cans. I'm talking about beer punk, everything. It was in my residence hall and on top of alcohol. I also had, um, I don't know, I was smoking weed, right? <laughs> so we just, we had a party, okay? So how does that conversation go? Um, I'm sure, of course, with like stronger sanctions, like things that would be um, expellable offenses, right? That's a little different. But for something like alcohol, some of our smaller ones, how does that conversation go? Like when you allow them to pick their sanction? So, so honestly, and that's the good thing about the pathway plan sanctioning model, what you do, what you're taught, how you're trained and developed as a student conduct officer doesn't change much. Um, okay. We do stress building rapport a little longer. So the typical 30 minute conversation may be stretched out to 45 minutes to an hour, depending on, you know, clearly Alex did a lot in this incident. So that's probably going to be an hour. We're going to set aside to have that conversation. But I would also probably spend about 10 to 15 minutes versus two to five minutes getting to know her, you know, asking her questions, you know, hey, where's home for you? You know, what made you choose, you know, the university? What are you involved in? What are some things that you like about the, you know, about the university? What, you know, what were you involved in before you got to the university? What are some things you want to get involved in? You know, asking about family, you know, allowing them to share you know, what they want about themselves, because as we know, unfortunately, in our line of work, um, nine times out of 10, the first time we meet a student, um, you know, the first, that's them getting in trouble. And right. unless we're, you know, 
intentional about outreaching with our office and things of that nature. And so they're coming in nervous. They're coming in, you know, kind of on the defensive, not really knowing what to expect. And so being able to talk about their themselves, um, it really, you know, really kind of helps serve as an icebreaker, kind of ease some of the, the angst that they may have. Um, and so, but it also helps us, you know, find some common ground, some common knowledge that we may have, but ultimately it helps the conversation that we're here to have go a little bit smoother, you know? And so I tell all my students that I believe in giving them the benefit of the doubt until they give me reason not to, you know, and regardless if they were the ring leader or in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, I know there's a lot more to addicts than this one incident, you know, because I tell them I would want that same grace, you know, bestowed upon me if I were sitting in their seat. And so once we get past all that and I explain the process and I talk about putting the pieces of the puzzle together, because, you know, I have my spiel. I know you have your spiel. Mm-hmm. All of my colleagues have our spiel. Um, and, you know, you ask the questions, you have the conversations just like you would in the traditional model and however you do your thing. But what changes in the model with this, this particular um, sanctioning model is once it becomes time for sanctioning, the way it works, because you have five pathways, you have the accountability pathway, the understanding pathway, the perspective pathway, the restorative pathway and the well-being pathway. And so as it pertains to the accountability pathway, that's where the student conduct officer, we sanction those are all the administrative you know, sanctions where, you know, the fines, you right. know, the, the conduct status, you know, that's the stuff that we're going to do. And honestly, with this model, if there's a particular pathway project that we want the student to complete, we can throw that in there. You know, if it's right, we still because we're still in control, you know, of the of the meeting. Um, and so the way it works is. Alex comes in, we have a conversation and she accepts responsibility. That's the key thing. She has to accept responsibility in order to go and do the whole pathway planning and choose her own, you know, pathway projects. If she's like, nope, I didn't do it. Okay. We're going to go back to old school. Okay. And I'm going to assign you um, the pathway projects that I think you deserve to do based on the behavior that you exhibit. And instead of having, you know, the accountability pathway, and then whatever the two or three things that I have you do with your status, fines or whatever. And then the next pathway that the student was selecting under those, you're just going to have the accountability pathway. And that's going to be me holding you accountable. Um, and so once Alex accepts responsibility, we have a booklet that we actually give them. And it's been, you know, joked upon to be, I guess, the Cheesecake Factory menu. Um, <laughs> so much stuff. It is. So many options, right? And so, so we tell them, we say, hey, you know. I'm going to take care of all the pathway projects in the accountability pathway. Now you have the opportunity to select these four remaining. So what the student would do, we have the explanation um, of a little blurb explaining what, you know, the pathway projects will, you know, kind of lend itself to in the understanding pathway, obviously a better understanding or to gain a different understanding about, you know, information perspective, get a different perspective and so on. And so Alex chooses, you know, the understanding pathway. So what we then do, we open the booklet up to the understanding pathway. And then I say, okay, based on, you know, what Alex has done, if I'm not giving her, you know, the marijuana one-on-one that, you know, that I'm assigning or, or, you know, the alcohol, I'm going to say, Hey, choose three pathway projects that you want to complete. And so what she'll do, she'll take her time and she'll read through it and she'll tell me what she wants to do. Um, And if it's something where it's, you know, irrelevant to the incident, um, I'll challenge her to say, hey, okay, I understand that you want to do that, um, but what does that have to do with you, you know, smoking weed or throwing a party and having a lot of alcohol in your room? And so to try to get away from that awkward moment when I say you can't pick that, 
I always tell the student, I say, hey, you know, my only request is that you make sure that it's relevant to your incident. And if you don't think it is or you don't know if it is, ask me or if you want to take your chance and convince me that it is, you know. So quick break, um, the audio, as I'm sure all of you know, since we're all doing Zoom, kind of messed up right here, um, but you really didn't miss anything at all. He jumps right back into what he was saying and you missed nothing, but I figured I could use this as a wonderful time to do some quick announcements and a commercial break just in regard to ASCA. As you guys know, uh, in regard to everything that's happening with COVID-19, what we've done is we've come up with some ASCA chats. So I encourage you guys to get on your email to check the dates, um, Christine sent out a list of chats and topics that might interest you in regard to how do we do student conduct online as student conduct administrators. So go ahead. Uh, if you haven't signed up for those, please do. Um, if you aren't going to be able to make it, please know that there is a waiting list. So please make sure you let us know at central office. If you can't make it that way, someone can take your space. Um, but yeah, go ahead and jump in on those. There's some really great information. And if you do miss those, uh, Christine is actually writing up a blog. So you'll be able to catch up on what was missed or just go ahead and email us and let us know. All right. Thanks for jumping back into the show. They go through it and it allows them to think critically about their behavior and they're asking questions. And, and those students, they take their time. They read through it, you know, and they see what they want to do. Um, one thing we had to learn is that we had to take the word count out because, you know, students want to look at the, you know, the shortest you know, word count. Okay. The different things that are in the pathway plans are creative and things that they wouldn't expect. They're more apt to really choose them because it sounds cool to them. So trying to, you know, you know, find something that's attractive to the theater major or the art major to where they may not want to write a, you know, write an essay, but they would be okay creating their own TED talk and saying in front of a video and talking and doing a presentation about why they, you know, violated this policy or what they learned or doing a BuzzFeed, you know, quiz or, right. you know, something like that, you know, just to kind of tailor it to their needs. And, you know, we do this because when I tell myself, I'm, I'm not arrogant enough to think I know what's best for Alex after a 30, 45 minute conversation. Um, and I understand that we all learn differently. And so, you know, Alex knows what's best for Alex. And so I'm going to put the ball in Alex's court and we're going to work together to make sure that she learns something from this experience. And so she doesn't make the same mistake. Um, she doesn't make the same mistake twice. Um, and so that's kind of what it would look like um, far as, you know, if Alex did at the big party in the smoking weed, things of nature. It's going to look just like um, what, how we were trained. But, you know, when it comes to sanctioning, you know, she's going to be able to, you know, pick and choose what she wants to do. And if students are like, hey, I don't know, what do you think? You know, what are most popular among students? We jump in and say, hey, you know, the letter of the future self is really popular or this TED talk is really popular. Um, a lot of students like to do this or, you know, given your situation, you know, because you're on the first suspension, um, you may want to, you know, do the potential con um, conduct questionnaire or, you know, potential employer grassroots questionnaire to help prepare you for those conversations if you see, you know, that on the application and things of that nature. So the student sees our office is helping them and not just being punitive in, in nature. So we're actually being a resource and not just repercussive. 
That sounds amazing. Like I'm sitting here saying I have work to do this week. I need to revamp our entire offices, <laughs> sanctioning and how we do it. Um, so unfortunately, uh, I guess, you know, or fortunately, uh, people in my office this upcoming week uh, will be getting um, <clears throat> a lot of homework that we'll be doing. So that should be yeah. fun um, um, because it's I mean, what you're saying makes sense. Right. And I think the key part is, first of all, um, students being able to accept responsibility. Right. That becomes important in understanding, um, you know, their ability to pick a sanction and what that looks like, because that's also going to make sure that it's something that they are actually invested in and what they want to do. And I think that it actually provides um a level of a level of us saying, okay, look, we appreciate you accepting responsibility. And I think the way you said it the best after a 30, 40 minute conversation with me, you're really not going to know what's best for me. So if I can sit there and talk through it and work for it. And then, like you said, saying, hey, look, when I apply to graduate school, when I apply to law school, whatever that looks like, this is what happened. This is why. Here is my reasoning and rationale. We are helping students. I think part of it is understanding that the student conduct office, we are very much a part of someone's education as a history class, as any other office, you know, and understanding that there's policies, there's rules, and how do we work through that? So I really like that. Um, and so with this, have you found that it's actually more successful than maybe your traditional sanctioning practices? Me, yes, because I'm an advocate. It's my baby. I love it. Um, it's worth, I was allowed to take it from SMU and apply it to the University of Montevallo. Um, and so to go to a brand new place and they'd be like, yeah, do it. Um, that says a lot. Um, and I think having the data um, mm -hmm. behind it to back, back that always shows going back to my passion for student conduct assessment. And um, if I were to say it was more effective, I'll just go out on a limb and say, I think it's more effective from a standpoint of being able to build relationships with students and okay. being able to help that kind of that negative connotation and perception. Um, the reason I say that is because it's a hybrid model of the traditional sanctioning practices and restorative justice practices, because, you know, although the, the person who which they harmed is not there and they're, not, and they're sitting there, but we're giving the power to them and they're choosing how they want to restore the harm or how they want to learn from, you know, from their behavior in that incident. So it, and it also, it gives the student a voice in the process, you know, and it also it adds more accountability um, to the student as they're completing their, their pathway projects. And so um, it's, you know, it it just, you know, the numbers have shown that, you know, it, at SU and at the University of Montevallo. Um, and, you know, I'm an, I was a numbers guy, you know, at, at SMU, um, and so we tracked this. We did a presentation at ASCA um, on it. And so um, what we saw, you know, um, and I, we went from 2014 to 2015 to, and we compared all of those years, but just for the sake of our conversation, I'll share with you what we, you know, what we, the data that we got. And so on our surveys, what we asked and do different things, like we did pre, pre um, hearing surveys and post um, hearing surveys. And so looking at 2014 to 2015 data, you know, 75% of students, you know, in doing that school year, they said they felt like they were respected you know, during, you know, during the student kind of process, during student meeting. And so you hear that, you're like, okay, great. But after the first year of this, that number shot up to 93%. Wow. You know, um, you're going back to 2014, 2015, 81% of the students said they felt listened to. Um, move forward to 2017, 2018, that number shot up to 96%. Um, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, having the opportunity to share your perspective 
you know, on the incident and what happened, 89%. That's a great number, right? But with this model, 100% of students wow. said they felt like they had the opportunity to, you know, share their perspective. And, you know, a lot of students come to our offices thinking that we're going to say, yeah, yeah, whatever, you did it, and you need to do this, this, and that. And so seeing those numbers grow was really good for us, you know. And then we, we asked the question, did you feel like your conduct officer, you know, was personally invested in you? You know, 2014, 2015, 86% of students said yes. but before using the pathway plan, you know, sanctioning model, 96% of students, you know, said yes. And then, you know, even something as simple as having the process explained to them because they don't look at the student go to kind of, they don't look at our process until they get the letter from us. And so in 2014, 2015, you know, 86 students said, hey, yep, the process was explained to me. But, you know, 2017, 2018, 96% of students said, hey, they feel like the process was explained to them. And so, you know, and the way we track that data, we did it with all the students that met with our student conduct office, not the, not the hall director, the things of that nature, because we were tracking pre and post data and getting real time information to see what we needed you know, to improve. So we had the quantitative data, but we also had qualitative data to where it would tell you, you know, Mr. Miller was rude, you know, or I don't think he did this. And so you're in a staff meeting. And if that comes up, you have your supervisor right there. You're talking about it or you can get, oh, man, he was a lot better than I thought. Or Mr. Miller really, you know, he sat and listened to me. He talked to me. He didn't yell at me like I thought he would. And so as you can imagine, that makes a student conduct officer feel really good about themselves. And so, you know, we got good feedback over, I think, like 50, 55% of the students, you know, they responded. And that's how we got the real, you know, the real time, you know, data. Um, and so, you know, because even the everything in this process, I mean, it's, you know, it's intentional. Like even the terminology, it's a little different. You don't call them, you know, we don't call them sanctions. We call them pathway projects. Right. And, and so just how you do those different things and how you're able to nuance those, the students, they hear that. Um, and so it's like, no, you know, we're not sanctioning. You're going to you want to build a pathway plan. You know, I'm not going to send you an outcome letter. I'm going to send you a pathway plan. And so these are the that we built. These are the pathway projects that you have to create. And the thing is, I think one of the biggest things why I think it's effective and it helps the credibility of our office and the work that we do is that a lot of students feel like I'm going to get the same thing that Alex did. And so with this, it's like, no, like you're getting to pick and choose whatever it is you want to do. So if you violate the same policy that Alex did, you may have to do the same amount of the number. You may get the same conduct status. You may get the same fine. But as it pertains to your pathway projects, she could have three completely different ones than you. Now, if y'all happen to be best friends and choose the same three, that's on you. It's not going to be me telling you this because it's, you know, it's, it's not, we usually have that, that one size fits all model. And I've learned that that's not how students work because we're humans and, you know, we learn differently and, you know, we experience things differently. And so I think, you know, not to say that the way we've always done it is wrong, but I think that this is a way because it, it's all about institutional fit. It has to work, you know, where you're at. And so it's like our students wasn't ready for restorative justice you know, student populations may not be ready to be able to choose their own sanctions, you know, and different things like that. And so, it, you know, you got to, you know, have the pulse, you know, feel the pulse of, of your campus and your student population. And you really got to have the, you know, the the backing and the support of, you know, the VP, um, your supervisor, and this, the buy-in, you know, from this, the office to be able to do something um, like this and of that of this nature. 
Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually where I was going to ask you. So for our listeners who are listening to you and who are like, this sounds amazing. You know, um, I want to do something like this. I think it's great. I want to start it. Say they have, you know, the success and the, um, excuse me, not success, but rather the buy-in of like the people involved and the constituents involved. How would they go about starting this? Like what, like what would be like, maybe like the steps that someone would take if they wanted to start doing this? So I would say, you know, you have the conversations within your student conduct office and you see, hey, does everybody want to actually do this? And then you have to then, I guess, kind of when I say survey, not literally survey your population, but based on your experiences with the students and what you know about your students, ask yourself, will this really work? Um, And if it does, you tailor the pathway projects to your students. So, you know, when I left you know, SMU and went to University of Montevallo, one of the pathway projects that we had in the SMU pathway plan was a fake ID project where, you know, the student, they researched, you know, the Texas law about fake IDs and the consequences and things like that. Um, And they had to, you know, do something artistic, whether they create a poster or a PowerPoint and present it to us and all a reflective essay um, on it. But going to University of Montevallo, that is not in our pathway plan because fake IDs are not a thing at that university. So I eliminated that because that's irrelevant um, to that. And so there may be some things that you don't need that SMU has in theirs or that the University of Montevallo has in theirs, but that may be relevant to, to your institution and your student population. So honestly, knowing the students that you, that you, that you ultimately serve every day will help. And so you have to go back and, you know, you have to do your homework. Um, And, you know, if you're, You've been there for a year or two and you have colleagues who've been there in the office for seven or eight. You got to talk to them and see, hey, well, what are some things? What are some changes that you've seen? And then you have to, you know, it's a it's a big process um, because you have to get everybody on board because it wasn't just our office doing it. You know, and again, we were the only ones doing the real time, you know, survey data. Um, But at the end of each semester, you know, we did have the big survey that we always sent out. Um, to get the feedback from hall directors. So you have to train your hall directors to be able to do this. Um, and so if they don't know how to do it, they're going to, you know, they're going this is going to leave a bad taste in students' mouth because they're not going to get the same experience if they don't know what they're doing. So your ability to train um, is going to be major. Um, so you're going to have to understand, you know, what you're doing. Um, you know, I'm always like, Anybody who wants to learn or know anything about it, call me, you know, call my colleagues at SMU um, so I can talk you through it, you know. So you want to just consistently, you know, assess what you're already doing. Um, as I said earlier, introduce, you know, new pathway plan options, you know, see if you're, see if everything lines up with your student code of conduct, you know, statuses, things of that nature. See where you can collaborate with other departments. You know, we have where, you know, we may run into a, a junior who's, you know, through conversation, may not know um, what they want to do. So you may want to collaborate with the Career Development Center on your campus, and that's a way to help them with exposure, but also you helping that student connect new resources. You know, we we have an academic action plan in our pathway project and pathway plan at Montevallo to where they'll have to reach out to our Falcon Success Center to build an academic action plan because they want to get their GPA up and things like that. So collaboration with other departments really helps, you know, Making sure if you have a strategic plan in your office, if you have a strategic plan at the university, making sure you can speak to how this aligns and how this helps, you know, and being able to understand and explain the descriptions and the options so 
there's no confusion, everything is clear. And then honestly, advertising it on campus so students know, so students are aware um, of it. And, you know, they can kind of jump on board and you can kind of get buy-in from them as well because it's going to be brand new to them. And if, if you're branding it as we're doing this to help better serve you, um, then it's going to be a lot easier to, you know, to jump on board, you know? So those are some of the things that I would say you'd have to do if you wanted to, if you were serious about bringing this type of sanctioning model, you know, to your campus. That's a lot. But I think that you give really good actionable steps for people to really think about how they can successfully implement something like this, what that looks like. And then really at the end of the day, how to support and make sure our students are successful. Because if I take away anything from what you've said during this conversation, I think that that's really, really it. Right. How do we make sure our students are successful? And this is a way or a pathway. Right. To make sure that they can actually be that. So I absolutely love that um, and just love what you're doing, love what you've done with this really and just the knowledge that you came up with this and you guys put this together because I think that it's something that we need to really consider in our field and, and the concept of how are we sanctioning our students, right? And if there's something that we can do that's better, that yields even better results, right? Like, like why not? So I think that this is really, really, really setting the tone for the expectations of really just creating of sanctioning in our field and what that looks like for for people moving forward. So I love that. I love that you've shared that with us. Um, You've provided so much content, so much information, so much good stuff. Uh, I always ask people, do you have like a tip or a trick or a student conduct favorite book or something that you would want, I don't know, our listeners to know? Um, Gosh, I mean, the book I have on my desk is Student Conduct Practice, and that's the old edition. Yes. Um, but so I'm, I know the new additions out there, so I'm going to try to get that. Um, it real is. Um, but I'm trying to think, I mean, really just, um, you know, my, going back to really my kind of my personal motto as far as the tip is, you know, think about relationship before, you know, regulation, then, you know, education before adjudication, because that really helps the student understand that it humanizes you. So you want to make sure that the student knows that you laugh, that you cry, that you're, that you're a person. And so thinking about the environment that the student walks into. So what's on your walls, the pictures and things like that. Is it intimidating? Is it welcoming? You know, so I have a lot of things on my wall. You know, I have pronouns chart on my wall. So when the student walks in, they see that and they know that it's an open, you know, it's a welcoming space. If, you know, they identify differently um, than what they may appear um, to, 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 the, to the average person. Um, so those different, those are different things and keeping the student you know, focused and keeping being student focused and keeping them first and letting them know that you're here for them because we all know we only have a job um, because of them. And, you know, the big thing I like about this, this process from um, this sanctioning model is because it shows the student that it's more of a conversation and it's not us wagging our fingers in their face and telling them they're bad or they're dumb or they shouldn't have did this, or they shouldn't have done that. We're truly helping and guiding them because we've been there, done that, we've made um, some some of the same mistakes and we just want to make sure that they, you know, don't make some of the same. And if, you know, we talk to students that have very promising futures and they just were in the wrong place at the wrong time and a poor decision um, in the moment of what was happening, you know, because I always ask that question, was there something going on at the time that may have led you to doing this, you know, um, and that kind of opens up with the student. And so those are some of the tips and tricks that, that I would give to colleagues just generally, you know, regardless of you know, this sanctioning model or just what we do on a day-to-day basis. 
Okay. Well, I think that's perfect. So Tony, where can people uh, get in contact with you? I don't know if you're a user of the social medias and the Instagrams and all of that, or if you would prefer for people to contact you through email or what that looks like, because I'm sure people are going to have questions about this and I want to make sure that they can contact you. Yes. So um, I'm on all of, well, for the most part, the mainstream, I guess, um, um, social media um, network. So it's at Tony Miller Jr. You know, nothing special. It's just at Tony Miller Jr. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Instagram a little bit more than I am Twitter. But, you know, if you hit me up on the DM, I will, you know, I will send you my email address, cell phone number so we can communicate. Um, my email address is tmiller7 at montevallo.edu. Um, obviously, you hit me up via email. You know, that's probably going to be the quickest way to do it. And like I said, I don't mind you know, sharing my cell phone number. Um, so you email me and say, hey, man, let's talk. Let's chat about it. I'll probably just shoot you my, my email. Uh, I'll shoot you my cell phone number and say, hey, let's talk. It'd be easier for me to explain it anyway. Um, and I can also send you different things, um, send you some of the data. If you want to look through the data, look through some of the executive summaries and reports um, that I've done at, at SMU and at, at the University of Montevallo. Um, if you're trying to sell your supervisor um, or your VP on something, I, I don't mind. And if if I need to come in and help y'all do it, you know, I'm down with that too because I, I'm a believer in this system. I've seen it work at two different type of universities, um, public and private, two different type of student um, demographics. And, um, you know, I'm a fan. I'll probably always be a fan. And I think this is something um, that we as student kind of professionals as, you know, as generations continue to come into, um, you know, to colleges, you know, we have to adapt and adjust um, with them. Um, we want to continue to be relevant and actually have them listen to what it is we have to say. Okay. Well, you heard it from him himself. He's ready to come out. He's ready to help you. So everybody get in contact with Tony. I will definitely put all of your contact information in the description box for our listeners. That way they can just copy and paste it and get with you directly. So Tony, thank you so much for being on our show. We appreciate you. We appreciate your time, your effort, and your energy that you are giving to everybody and to our students in this field. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you for having me. And you, you have a great evening as well. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Alexandra Hughes. That's me. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and become more visible to our podcasting community. If you have suggestions for future guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, feel free to reach out to us by email at ascapodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ASCA Podcast. If you'd like to connect with me on Twitter, you can find me at Alexandra's View. Talk to us. We talk back.